Happy Monday, 12s. It is the day after the Seahawks moved to two and one on the season, a 37-27 win over the Carolina Panthers at home that did not always look pretty. And if you read any of my tweets yesterday, you saw that there were moments I wasn't very happy during the game. I was at the stadium, but after rewatching it today, I have my five takeaways and even some honorable mention. My reaction to the Seahawks win over the Panthers coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. If you're listening on audio, subscribe so you don't ever miss episodes. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video and subscribe to the channel, best way to support it. You can also buy me a beer, as Josh did over the weekend, bought me 12 beers and a really nice shout out. Thank you, Josh. Um... I cannot express how much I appreciate that. And I appreciate the effort from the Seahawks yesterday. Again, 37-27, they beat the Panthers at home. I've got my five takeaways coming up in a moment. Uh, But let me start with this because I've had some discussion with people from my Twitter feed. If you don't follow me on Twitter, it's at Seahawks forever. Very different experience in the stadium. And just for some context, I have had season tickets since 1984 uh, my parent, my my family actually has had them since 1976, but but they gave them up for a year and then got them right back. So pretty much from day one. And uh, I don't go to every single game anymore. There's a number of reasons for that. This year in particular, it's some of the things that I want to do on the PSF app. Make sure you download that for live streaming of the games and uh, the midweek show with Dana O'Gorman and I at 10 o'clock Pacific time on Wednesdays. Um, but also just... For the sake of this show, being able to react to it, um, and most of the time I like to react right after the show or the game, um, it's much, much easier to do from home after immediately after watching it uh, with the benefit of the analysis and the replays and everything on television. So sometimes I like to go to the game and be a fan and have a good time, and, and, and I did that yesterday, and uh, I was a little reactionary during the game. Some of that was my expectations going into the game talking. Some of it was the IPA I was drinking. But a few of you got on me pretty hard. And to that, I would just say, relax. It's okay for me to be a fan. Um, (laughs) And I have a good time doing it. And that was fun. But on the rewatch today, and this happens quite a bit. On the rewatch today, there were a lot of things to like about the game yesterday. And I think there's a lot to be said about expectations, right? I'm guilty of it myself. Had Jeff Rickard from WFNZ on the show, uh, who covers the Panthers, and said earlier in the week that he didn't see, he didn't know how the Panthers could score against the Seahawks. Um, and they did. And, the, and then the Seahawks offense sputtered in the first half, couldn't cash in on scoring drives. Uh, it was just a 13 to 12 game at halftime with the Panthers out front. Uh, Seahawks were a little sloppy, just couldn't execute on third downs, had to settle for field goals. So, but upon watching it again, especially the second half, every play and making notes along the way, I've got my five takeaways for you today and they're all positive takeaways. They're not always going to be, but they are today. And there were so many positives out of this game that I actually had some honorable mention at the end. And then I'll talk about, uh, Jamal Adams coming back and, uh, my thoughts on that my expectations for that. But but as far as that word goes, again, expectations. I went into this game expecting a wire-to-wire convincing win. Just didn't think the Panthers were in a position to be able to, be able to compete. Now that shifted late in the week when we found out Bryce Young wasn't going to play. 
You're talking about a veteran in Andy Dalton, a guy who's been around a long time, has had a lot of success in this league. Throw him to a guy like Adam Thielen, a guy who's been around a long time, has seen it all. Nothing surprises these guys. And they've still got something left in the tank. And that combination was difficult. And it gave them a better chance to win. Jeff said it himself on the preview show than Bryce Young does right now, especially if he wasn't 100% healthy. But let's get into it. Uh, let's get into my five biggest takeaways among many from this game. Number one, sure looks like the defensive front seven is improved. And the results are starting to show. As much as we have talked over and over and over again about how we all wished they had been a little bit more aggressive in adding personnel and impact up front. The sum of the parts is working. Seahawks yesterday limiting the Panthers to just 44 rushing yards. They took the run away from Carolina. Furthermore, they got much more consistent pressure, and we're starting to see that. There was essentially zero pressure against the Rams, at least in the naked eye, right? Like ESPN, after two weeks, had the Seahawks fourth in the league in team pass rush win rate, which is surprising because as fans, we're thinking, there's no sacks, there's no splash plays. Where is that coming from? Against the Lions, we saw it more consistently, and it impacted the game and affected Jared Goff. It certainly impacted the game yesterday. Just consistent pressure and push up front while not sacrificing anything in the run game from the entire front seven. Saw Jordan Brooks making plays. Again, still can't believe how good he looks coming off that ACL. Saw Bobby Wagner doing his thing. Saw Mario Edwards and Draymond Jones, even, even before Jones went out injured, and hopefully that hip is okay, only one tackle between them on the stat sheet. But when you watch the replay, they're in there. They're taking on their gaps. They're taking on their man. They're clogging things up. They're doing the dirty work, as I called it last week. We're seeing some snaps from the young guys. Miles Adams and Cam Young both played about a third of the snaps yesterday. Cam Young was in on some plays. Much better push up front consistently. Um, PFF has them 11th overall in the league right now after yesterday in pass rush grade and 8th in run defense. They still lack in coverage. They're 30th in coverage. That's why they're 26th overall in PFF's ratings for whatever weight you want to give their grades. But I expect that to get better. Um, we had a couple of coverage busts yesterday, including one that led to a touchdown. We're not seeing as many of those. Even when Dalton was completing passes yesterday, and he did throw for over 346 yards, um, they were contested. Guys making plays. And a lot of pass break breakups from a number of different sources, and we'll get into that in a minute. My second takeaway, speaking of the secondary, are you becoming a believer already in Devin Witherspoon? Dude is a dog. Usually don't use that word spelled that way because I'm a WSU grad, but it's true. And it, it, a lot of guys are referring, a lot of guys on the team are referring to him that way. We heard way back in the preseason when Corbin Smith was on my show after the first couple of weeks of practice, talk about the impact that Witherspoon has on the rest of the guys when he's in the game and how, uh, how his physicality and his energy is infectious. Same was said of Jaron Reed, who 
to the first takeaway was outstanding yesterday. I think I kind of breezed over him, missed it in my notes. He was everywhere. Pete Carroll today on his morning uh, coaches show, by the way, said best game he's ever seen Jaron Reed play in his career. Eight tackles, four solo, a QB hit, tackle for loss, half a sack. And then he played through a legit, Carroll called it, groin strain, but refused to sit out. Hopefully that won't catch up to him later in the week. But Devin Witherspoon and Jaron Reed, really the emotional and physical leaders on this defense, and we saw it. The cool thing, any anytime young players get a chance to play, what you look for is that the skills and the things that we saw from them on tape that made us like them in college translate. Sometimes it doesn't, right? I mean, you can put it in a vacuum because it's so different, but we see that all the time in, in quarterback play. You know, guy can make throws at the college level, but those just don't translate or his processing doesn't translate. And even defensive players, sometimes they just win with physicality. Look at Tyree Smith and, or Tyree Wilson in LA right now, a guy that we had a lot of focus on because he looked like he might be a guy that the Seahawks were attracted to in the draft. Not a single pass rush win or pressure so far this year. Physical freak, just for whatever reason, so far not translating to the NFL. But the things we saw on tape from Devin Witherspoon, we're seeing him. We're seeing him live and in person on almost every play. Somebody said on Twitter last night, I thought this was great, said he's all over the screen. He's all over the screen every time you watch. Right? He was targeted 13 times. They certainly tried to pick on the rookie yesterday. 13 times. Only gave up five catches for 31 yards, a long of 15, two pass breakups. Uh, some people said, well, he gave up the touchdown to Thielen at the end, but it looks like that wasn't his responsibility. He just rallied to the ball and tried to make a play coming over uh, once the throw was made. For the season so far through two games, he's been targeted 18 times, eight catches, 95 yards, a touchdown, a long of 36. That includes that flea flicker against Detroit that he bid on. That's a huge chunk of that. You take that out and those numbers look Pro Bowl worthy. And on top of that, his PFF run defense grade of 81.3 is outstanding. And you saw it. He's, he's hitting guys. He's punishing guys. And then that's the concern with Witherspoon, right? A lot of you are concerned about the size. You know, a shade under six foot, 180 pounds. But he delivered some punishment yesterday after balls were caught or in the running game. And he uh, certainly didn't seem like he was any worse for the wear after that. So much fun watching this kid play. And what's really going to be fun, if Reek Woolen and Pete Carroll says he should be back this next week on Monday Night Football against the Giants, see those two kids playing together and that tandem growing together. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My third takeaway. I have been critical of the crowd at Lumen Field for years. But yesterday, at least, Lumen Field is back. It felt like in the stadium, it was louder than I can recall it for a while. And it certainly translated when I got home. First of all, it was all over the Twitter feed. Pete Carroll talking about it. Fans talking about it. How loud it was. And you could hear it on the television feed. 
and it impacted the game in a way that it hasn't in a very long time. Seahawks have only won, I think it was eight of their last 18 games at home up until yesterday. Is that true? Is that right? Um, eight false starts yesterday by the Panthers. We haven't seen that kind of contribution from the crowd in a long time. And I get asked about it all the time. I was asked about it on on the radio, on WFNZ earlier this week when Jeff had me on his show. I was asked about it by a, a journalism student a couple months ago who was writing a story on the Lumen Field crowd and the fan support. And I saw an example of it Sunday. I've sat in my current seats for a little over 10 years because that's where I was sitting. It's at the corner over the Seahawks tunnel where the tip happened in the 2013 NFC Championship game. And uh, that was my view of it. So I've been sitting there since at least 2013. And people that sit behind me have had those seats for a long time. It's section 328, Roque. I love the view. Uh, come say hi sometime. Uh, and the people behind me are super cool. You know, we're high five buddies when things happen all the time. And you see it around us. Most of the people around my seats have been going for a long time. The seats directly in front of me must belong to some company. No two, the same people never use it ever two games in a row. And they're almost never wearing fan gear. It's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. But uh, got some new folks in our section that sit directly behind us two rows back. And mid fourth quarter when this game was in the balance and the crowd's trying to trying to rally behind the Seahawks. And I'm standing up, screaming my guts out for the Seahawks defense. Dude tells me to sit down. I don't stand all game anymore, but I remember the days when we used to. I remember as far back as the 2005 NFC Championship game against the Panthers and Jake DeLome, and the entire crowd stood the entire time. Don't expect that to happen every time. And, and honestly, I wouldn't like it if it did. But in key moments, third downs, hell yes, I'm going to stand up. Got into it a little bit with the guy. That's not my style. It's not really my my thing. He and I are going to have a conversation the next guy next game that I attend because I'm I'm not going to let someone who sits behind me tell me how to fan. But the point was that I think it's indicative. It's a little bit of a represent, representation of what's happened and some complacency that's happened among the fan base. He and his partner were wearing brand new throwback $150 jerseys, so they're showing their support that way, but they they actually go out of their way. The first game that he sits behind me to tell me not to stand up. There is some of that. So given that, the fact that that stadium was so loud yesterday is a real credit to the fans. And I think it's credit to how much fun this roster is to watch, how much fun it is to watch young players grow. They play an exciting style. And I think typically when you see crowds start to get some momentum like that, doesn't it usually mean that they believe that there's greater things ahead? I do. If there's no hope, it's a little harder to generate that kind of intensity in the crowd. But it was there yesterday. It was there yesterday against a non-divisional opponent. That says a lot to me. That says a lot. If it was the Rams game or certainly the 49ers, you'd expect it. So that was cool. My fourth takeaway, Jason Myers is back. Did he ever leave? There's a lot of consternation after the game last week. Missed field goals. Uh, Seahawks were able to escape without it hurting them. Um, but he just didn't look good, had an off game. Really hasn't looked good through the first two weeks. People are starting to get nervous. You know, the kicker position has been a very volatile one over the years. I always liken it to closers in baseball. It's very common to see even some of the better kickers in the league be good one year, not the next. But Jason Myers' money yesterday made all five of his field goals. 
never a doubt on any of them, looked comfortable, and the Seahawks needed every single one of them. Four field goals is all they had at halftime, obviously, and then the fifth one coming early in the second half before the offense got going. But good to see from Jason. Anytime a kicker struggles, the worst thing you could see is that struggle continue because it feels like it's affecting them psychologically. Not the case with Jason Myers. I don't think he's a concern moving forward at all. And my fifth takeaway, and again, these were tough to pick, but that one-two running back punch, we got to see it today really for the first time come together. Ken Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet. It just feels like Charbonnet, it's taken him a minute to get his feet under him. We just haven't seen uh, those things that we saw from him on tape at UCLA. And I talk about a young guy and those skills translating. We saw those precise things yesterday in the game from him that we saw on tape in college. And that's when you start to believe that a young player can really make an impact in the NFL. Uh, Walker yesterday, 18 carries, 97 yards, two touchdowns. Also, getting more involved in the passing game, and I like seeing this, three catches for 59 yards. And Gino has talked about how they want to get the ball in his hands and they want to involve him. And that would be a real feather in Shane Waldron's cap if he can continue to work that in. Zach Charbonnet also, uh, we didn't really see it a lot yesterday, but he's very, very good in the passing game, both at protection and catching the football. So uh, really bodes well for this offense. Charbonnet, nine carries, 46 yards, had a long of 12. They both averaged over five yards per carry combined. Seahawks ran for 146 yards yesterday. And what we saw from Charbonnet, from both those guys, we saw their entire skill set. We saw Walker making those Barry Sanders-like cutback runs that make you just nervous. A lot of no, 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 yes. But his vision is so good. His balance is so good. There was one one play he had along the sideline where uh, the defender went up high and he was able to, while running full speed and cutting up field to avoid going out of bounds, kind of ducked his way underneath the defender's arm for a few more yards. Just an unbelievable combination of balance and vision and anticipation and quickness and also some power. We saw him cutting up north and south yesterday, running between the tackles and doing it with power. And Seahawks really tried to impose their will with the running game yesterday. We saw it uh, on Walker's first touchdown, the one yarder, because because uh, it was first and goal and they gave it to him three times. But Charbonnet, we also saw that the one cut and go, saw that from him a couple of times, the quickness for a guy at his size, bigger than Walker, but also his power and how he puts his shoulder down. And now I can't remember the name of the the, uh, corner for the Panthers, but Charbonnet had a run where he almost scored and he gets to the pylon and he lowers his shoulder and knocks that corner back about five yards in the air. Just leveled him. Very, very physical. Really exciting to see those two guys get it going. Uh, I told you there was, it was tough to pick five takeaways. So here's some honorable mention. Um, despite what I tweeted in the first half yesterday, Geno Smith was once again, very good. And this game overall, I think shows just how good he is as a whole. The, what, what upset me in the first half yesterday is first of all, it was at a moment where it felt like it was going to be one of those games again, right? Where the Seahawks came out sloppy, maybe take an opponent lightly, can't get rolling. We let a team hang, hang around, right? And uh, Gino missed missed a shot. I'm going to have to wait to see the all 22 because I couldn't see it on the TV copy. 
he uh, actually got a completion on the play. I think it was a third and long, maybe, and he completed the ball to Fant, if I'm not mistaken, but he missed Parkinson down the middle for what would have been a a, a 60-yard handoff and a wide-open touchdown. And um, everybody around me was screaming for it, and I just thought, you know, can't miss those, right? But again, the emotion of the moment. Uh, he was really outstanding yesterday. 23 out of 36, 296 yards, a touchdown. He did have the one bad pick. Uh, just didn't see the linebacker, right? Thought he had a wide open JSN, threw it middle of the field, didn't really have any pressure. He just didn't see the linebacker. But the way he came back from that and shook it off like it was nothing and the rest of the game was really outstanding. Um, in the second half alone, 12 out of 13 for 143, an average of 12 yards per completion and a 138.1 rating. I might do, rather than a an individual play that I highlight that kind of turned the game around, sort of that pivot point angle, I might do my uh, tape breakdown this week on Gino because what I saw time and time again consistently throughout this game from him, his awareness in the pocket and his the way he trusts his offensive line, the way he feels things coming, moves around in the pocket, but keeps his eyes downfield is top 10, top 12 ability in the NFL. Very, very good at it. For a guy that didn't play a lot of football for eight years with the real bullets flying, to have those kinds of instincts in the pocket and to have the injuries around him, right? Forsyth and Curran starting at tackle. Uh, we didn't have Phil Haynes yesterday. He, uh, Anthony Bradford was a surprise start of the fourth round draft pick out of LSU rookie playing at right guard. Uh, Damian Lewis got hurt at left guard for a while. Ben Brown had to come in. He's only been on the roster for two weeks and Gino never panicked. He's so calm in the pocket and the way he moves around and manipulates the pocket and keeps his eyes downfield. Um, he's fantastic. And there were some balls yesterday that, one was dropped by Parkinson that's as good of a play, as good as a throw, of a throw as you're ever going to see. And one that even though it was an incompletion, if I do show the all 22 and do a breakdown to Gino, that's one I would highlight as how good he is. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback, but name more than 10 others that you'd prefer to have. I don't think there are for me. And, and you kind of feel like he continues to get better. Um, and then offense really, uh, again, I angry tweeted Shane Waldron in the first half, watching the game back is a different experience. It just felt like an offense that was going to get going and just, just couldn't quite right. Just a little off here and there a penalty here and there. Just couldn't get that rhythm. Uh, some stats on Gino so far this year, um, in that intermediate throwing lane, uh, or, or zone, which is between 10 and 19 yards downfield, right? That's the area that separates, I think, NFL quarterbacks. There are guys that are known as, as only taking the checkdowns, right? And there are guys that are known for throwing a great deep ball, but that 10 to 19 yard range, that's where Matt Stafford destroyed us. And that's where he really lives and, and stands out above most other quarterbacks in the league. In that 10 to 19 yard zone so far this year, Geno Smith is 15 out of 15 for 219 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, a perfect passer rating. Another fun stat off play action. He's 29 out of 35 for 369 and two touchdowns. 
Uh, and I think games like that, when you really look at them closely, show more about how well a player's playing than, than the obvious ones. Because it didn't look great at times, especially in the first half. If you're in the stadium, there were people around me that were screaming at Gino because it's so easy to always blame the quarterback. It's not always his fault. And on rewatch, he was outstanding yesterday. Uh, just some other notes. Uh, lots of talk today about how Julian Love is struggling and it was a bad signing and get him out of there. And I can't wait until everyone's healthy. Not on rewatch. He was all over the place. A couple of passes broken up. Um, I do think he and Diggs were involved in the uh, the coverage bust that led to the DJ Chark long touchdown. But he's hitting guys. He's playing multiple you know spots on the field. I don't think he's playing as bad as some of the public perception is right now. Uh, Seahawks, again, showing off their depth in a number of areas. Some of the guys that came in and contributed up front, especially after Draymond Jones went out with an injury with uh, Miles Adams and Cam Young, and there was no drop-off there. They kept stopping the run, and they kept getting pressure on Dalton. Um, the depth in that secondary. Reek Woolen's out, right? Kobe Bryant's out. And what happens? And then Trey Brown leaves with a concussion in the first half. Mike Jackson comes in, has six tackles, has a couple of hard hits. He's punishing guys, has a pass breakup. I thought Mike Jackson played well. Again, the Twitter world would tell me that he got he got burned on a long play. Uh, you're talking about the long out route to DJ Chark, which was perfect coverage. Jackson couldn't have played it any better. A perfect throw over the outside shoulder and a perfect catch from Chark. I don't blame Jackson. I, I don't see that that was an issue. He played well. Artie Burns, five tackles and a pass breakup. And he can play the slot and both outside positions. That kind of depth has, has really come to the forefront and helped the Seahawks win the last two weeks. Um, and we talked about the offensive line. I thought, considering all those injuries I just noted, how well they were able to allow this offense to compete. And again, it wasn't perfect, right? Forsyth was beaten badly a couple of times. Uh, Jake Kern, I thought, even though his PFF grades really don't reflect it, I thought he was really solid when you watch him on tape. He's just doing a really nice job. Evan Brown, again, at center, really holding that position down. Uh, but keep in mind, the the Panthers have some dudes up front. And they got theirs yesterday. We saw Brian Burns absolutely hose Forsyth for a sack. Uh, just the one sack, though, three tackles for loss, three quarterback hits. He was everywhere. Derek Brown, a beast in the middle, five tackles, two QB hits. Frankie Louvu was held to one tackle for loss. They really, he didn't make much of an impact. Um. But Forsyth was beaten pretty badly a couple of times, but then held his own. It was never, there was never a stretch of consistent struggle. That offensive line held up pretty well, considering. And now Pete Carroll says Charles Cross might be, might be ready to go this week, which would bode well, even if they decide to hold him out against the Giants with the bye week coming after it, Charles Cross should be back soon. And then we'll be talking about when does Abe Lucas come back? But knowing now that they have that kind of workable depth on the offensive line, outstanding. Also just the, the variety uh, of the guys at the, the skill positions and the impact that Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson were able to make yesterday, given that Will Disley was out. 
So the Seahawks couldn't, couldn't really go, you know, they brought Brady Russell in late in the week. Um, they couldn't really go with those three tight end sets, but they went 12 personnel a lot in this game. Uh, over 70% of snaps for both Fant and Parkinson. They were both factors. Um, and and I, I'll tell you, somehow, some way, I guess you could make the argument that, well, this system is tight end friendly. You can find tight ends. You can plug them in. You don't want to spend too much cap space on these guys when Will Disley's cap number next year is already high. But Fant and Parkinson, I'd love to see the Seahawks find a way to bring all that group back again next year. They're all different. They all have un- unique skill sets. They can all block. That wasn't the book on Fant when he came over in the Russell Wilson trade. He did some nice work in the running game yesterday, and so was Parkinson. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, another just note I have here, DK is just a stud. I mean, he's playing with bruised ribs, catches six balls for 112 yards. He is becoming, I think, a more consistent presence game in, game out. And uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Overall, I think this offense is starting to get to where now that the running game might be getting going, they might just be as good as we thought they were going to be coming into this season. Right? Overall, uh, fourth rated best offense in the league by PFF. Only Miami, <laughs> who hung 70 on the Broncos yesterday. Uh, man, I didn't know that we'd ever see that in the NFL again. Uh, behind Miami, Detroit, and Minnesota. And then defensively, you know, they gave up 361 yards in offense to Dalton and Thielen, who caught 11 balls for 145 yards. But again, those guys are veterans and they, they weren't, they made them work for a lot of them, right? Dalton got hit a lot and it's developing. You can see the pieces come together. You can see Derek Hall starting to get some snaps and, and, and get close on a couple of pass rushes. You can see Boye Mafe. I, it was hard to keep him off these notes. He was kind of all over the place yesterday too, had a sack and, and a bunch of pressures and plays a run well, which may be more important than ever for the Seahawks because Daryl Taylor had to exit this one with an injury. I think most of us agreed in the preseason. I know this is how I felt and a lot of other podcasters and media members I talked to at the beginning of the season were, this offense is going to be dynamic. They're going to score. The defense just needs to improve enough and be good enough to compete and show growth during the season. I think we're seeing that after the last two weeks. And now that you have a larger sample size, right? We start to find out who these teams are. Seahawks have played six halves, and they've played five good ones, one bad one. You could say yesterday's first half was, I don't know, not great. I don't know if you want to call it bad. And yet they were in the game, you know, point down with with all all that being said. They've played one terrible half against the Rams. And it woke him up. Pete Carroll keeps referencing it. Did again on his coach's show today. I just don't know what that was all about. But now we've taken a step forward the last two weeks in a row. Last year, the Panthers came in in December and hung 223 yards up on the ground against the Seahawks. And this year, same head coach, same system, 44. Seahawks shut it down. That's progress. And it looks sustainable. It looks like guys are in the right place and they're making the right plays. Um, And it's growing. It's developing. This is the eighth youngest roster in the league, and that includes Bobby Wagner. Geno Smith, we got some old guys. By contrast, you look at some of the other contenders and the two teams that are considered the class of the NFC, the Eagles and 49ers, they're 11th and 12th oldest in the league. 
And now we get some guys back from injury. Pete Carroll sent on his show today that Reek Woolen should be good to go this week. Uh, we'll find out about Jaron Reed. I mean, usually when Carroll uses the word legit, that's not good. But he was able to play through it the entire game yesterday and play, as Pete said, best game he's ever played in his career. Hopefully he can come back, find out about Draymond Jones and his hip. Charles Cross may be able to go, right? But the biggest news today is Pete Carroll coming out and saying, well, I think he said it after the game yesterday, but he reiterated it on his coach's show today, is Jamal Adams is going to play against the Giants if there aren't any setbacks this week. Um, and that's good news. I think the timing is great because, you know, he hasn't played in a year. So if you come out of that a little sore, you've got the bye week to recover. And we can find out where he's at. What do I expect from him? I expect his energy to impact that defense. I expect him to have an impact in the running game. I expect him to have an impact rushing the passer. I also expect that it's going to take a few games. And we may not see an all-world performance out of him the first time out. I think the Seahawks are going to be limited in how they use him. And I think it's going to be more of an outside linebacker role rather than safety. But it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be so many eyes on him because of that contract. And that contract just kind of got, you know, depending on how you look at it, worse, for lack of a better term, in that they restructured some of it so the cap hit and the dead money would be harder to get out of, more painful to get out of next year uh, if he doesn't make it through the season or just isn't effective. I expect him to make an impact. And with this defense growing the way that it is, that's all we need him to make. We don't need him to come in and be a star, but make an impact. And I think together with he and Devin Witherspoon in that secondary, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's going to do it for me at Seahawks forever on Twitter. Um, keep an eye open later in this week for a Giants preview with some of the guys that do a Giants podcast. I'll let you know when that is scheduled. Check out the PSF app, download it in Android or iPhone. Uh, Dana O'Gorman and I will do our midweek live stream show Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the podcast, buy me a beer if you want to. Link is in the description. Thank you so much for watching and for contributing in the discourse on Twitter and everything else. I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy doing the show and I, I like the interaction. So thanks, guys. Tell me what you thought in the comments. How'd you feel about this game? What was I right about? What am I wrong about? What still concerns you? What do you like? And how do you think they're going to fare against the Giants? Is there a chance to get to 3-1 and one by the bye? I think most of us would have taken 2-1 and one after three games, right? We just might have thought they would get there differently. Tell me what you think in the comments. Until next time, forever and always, go Hawks. Go Hawks.